Hi everyone, welcome to the Trying to Conceive podcast. This podcast is an inclusive place for anybody in the process of family planning. So whether you've been trying to conceive for one month or 10 years, planning to adopt, identify as male, female, non-binary, whatever the case may be, if you are trying to start your family, this is the right place for you. Today, we are talking to an amazing woman who is sharing her story of infertility, loss, as well as cancer while trying to conceive. It's a little bit of a heavy story, but it does have a beautiful ending. I do want to mention that since this has been recorded, this wonderful woman has had her child, so you'll hear a little bit of her concerns. I believe she was 27 weeks pregnant when we recorded. We recorded a long time ago, and then she has since had her baby. So just want to put that on your radar before you start to listen. And I hope that you're all having a great week and enjoy this episode. So my husband and I um, have been together on and off since high school, but we wound up getting married and we knew right away that we wanted to have kids. So I had been on birth control all of high school, all through college. After I got engaged, I came off um, thinking that I would give my body a break, trying to do the right thing. And we on our wedding night, essentially, we started trying. And um, when I say that, I mean, I, I had worked on maternity as a student nurse, so I knew about tracking cycles, about um, temping. I knew about the ovulation prediction kits. So I was already using that, essentially, from the first month we tried. Um, I was getting positive ovulation kits every month. Um, tracking things and everything looked like it should be working, but it just never did. Um, After about a year of trying, I made an appointment with my OB at the time. And my OB did some basic tests to my understanding that just showed that we were fine. And she said, given my age, which I believe I was between 26 and 27 at the time, um, they said, there's nothing wrong with you. Just keep trying. And we, so I wound up going back to my OB and asking for a referral. And it, she was a total pain in the neck about giving it to me. Um, I essentially had to go to her boss to ask and say like, hey, all I'm asking for is a referral. I don't really see what the big deal is. So we wound up essentially getting the referral and we went to see Dr. They ran all of their tests, which you know takes forever just to even run the test. And then they came back um, unexplained infertility. So after we got that diagnosis, we just kind of felt like, well, if there's nothing wrong, like we don't want to jump right into doing IUI, IVF. And the IUIs were required by my insurance at the time, um, two of them before we moved to IVF. And just financially, we weren't really ready for that. And I think emotionally also we weren't ready. So we went back to trying on our own. And so now almost three years have, or two and a half, three years have lapsed. And then it got to the point where I went back to my OB for like my annual. And I just broke down in tears and I said, I'm trying. Everybody around me seems to be getting pregnant, not even on purpose. It's like with their boyfriends that they've been dating for like a month. I feel like something's wrong with me that people are missing. And I don't know where she got her numbers. It was the same OB that I didn't have a great experience with. And in retrospect, I should have changed. Um, But she came back and told me that given how long we've been trying and what the reproductive endocrinologist sent over, we had about less than 3% chance of, a, of conceiving on our own. And I still to this day don't know where they got that number from. And it really irritates me. She's no longer practicing like in this area. So I can't even go back and ask her. So we want to going 
making another referral with Dr. Going back, doing all of the testing again, because now over a year had lapsed since our prior testing. Um, during that time, my husband, it was just a bad, emotionally it was, and mentally, it was just a bad place that we were in because we had been trying for so hard for so long. So we made it an appointment with Dr. Plant. We decided to go away for a long weekend to Nantucket for, it was like around my birthday. It was right before, it was right before my birthday actually. So when we were on Nantucket, we just had a good time. We weren't trying. I wasn't tracking. I knew that I probably was ovulating around that time, but I wasn't, I never like used a kit or anything that month. Um, and I wound up getting pregnant that, that on that trip. Um, so that in itself was, I mean, we were thrilled, but at the same time that in itself, because everybody tells you to relax and it will happen and go away. Like, so that was, it was good, but it was, it was hard for us too, because it just felt like, I don't know. I just, it was a, it was a mixed emotion time. Um, but ultimately now my son is two and a half going on three this June, um, and then our story takes a little bit of a different turn than most for infertility. When my son was six months old, I had had like the general signs of postpartum. First off, after my son was born, I slipped into really bad postpartum depression, which is a whole other topic we could talk about. Um, given that I had struggled to conceive him, I had so many feelings of guilt and knowing about all the other women who are still trying, but I had serious postpartum depression and anxiety. And then I wound up going to see somebody getting all set with that. And then I had these really strong, they were, they were mimicking postpartum symptoms such as like hair loss, fatigue. So I went to see my doctor about that. And while I was at my doctor, we had a, they gave us a positive pregnancy test, which was out of left field. Like I thought it was a mistake. I called, I was angry. I wanted to speak with the director over at the, it's actually the hospital I work at. And it came back that I was pregnant. And it also came back that I was severely hypothyroid. They had followed my labs the next couple of weeks, just checking on my thyroid. Um, my PCP wouldn't medicate me for the thyroid at the time. And I knew that there was a link to miscarriage with being hypothyroid. So I had some struggles on that end. And then when I was about, I was between seven and eight weeks, I wound up losing that baby. And that, that kind of started our downward spiral first off. They kept following my thyroid labs because they were doing something weird. And essentially like within the same month that I lost that baby, I also was diagnosed with stage three thyroid cancer. I was still breastfeeding my son at the time. So that was just like a really, that was just a bad month. Like we went into a dark spot and then we went into an even deeper dark spot because stage three isn't contained. It was, there were questions if it had spread in my body and I'm sitting there holding a seven month old baby. So it was just, you kind of going back when we got that positive pregnancy test confirmed for our second baby, it was like, wow, maybe God like threw me a bone. And, you know, after all our years for struggling with our son, maybe like, maybe this is like actually happening. And then to have that kind of pulled out from underneath us, um, was really tough. And it, I miscarried at home. Um, you know, it just like the whole experience was traumatizing, like going into, the OB, after I started bleeding, I, you know, you're surrounded by these pregnant bellies. It was miserable. Um, they didn't take me back in the waiting room, right? Like away from the waiting room right away. It was a, it was a disaster. So 
fast forward again, I wound up getting my thyroid removed and my follow-up labs showed that there was still thyroid cancer cells in my body after I had it removed and there shouldn't have been. And then they followed those for another month or so and it showed that they were increasing in numbers. So it was alarming that there was still thyroid cancer somewhere else in my body that they couldn't find. So I consulted with Dr. because at this point I needed further cancer treatment and I knew from being a nurse and from my own research that having the cancer treatment would put me at risk of damaging any healthy eggs I had left and would totally wipe out our chances completely now of having additional children in the future. So we, we did a very fast testing and cycle all wrapped up into one because we were under a time frame here because we knew my numbers were increasing that uh, my cancer cells so we were able to retrieve eggs we did a super aggressive stimulation because this was my one and done chance um, and they were able to get 19 eggs and 10 fertilized at the time we chose not to do pre-genetic testing because it was very expensive um, and it was just something we had you know we we felt like we were both pretty healthy at the time and given all of the cancer treatment, we just couldn't afford it. So we wound up doing that. I had my cancer, the remainder of my cancer treatment that August and was declared cancer-free that September. For that following year, we had to use protection against having sex because I was still, I still had um, radiation in my body. So if I were by some chance to get pregnant, it would most likely end in a, a miscarriage and I just couldn't get there. So then we had jumped and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention we had two previous losses in the in this time frame as well. So we had a total of three, but the eight week pregnancy was the one that kind of hit us hardest. So back to so after the cancer treatment, we were good for it. So then at my follow-up a year after, they said everything looked great. There were no cancer cells in my body. Um, and they gave us the green light to go ahead with IVF. Um, so we did go ahead with IVF right away that month that we got the okay. And we wound up transferring an embryo back in October. Or no, I'm sorry, November. It wound up being November because of an, I had a funky cycle. That embryo took on the first chance. And we're lucky that we're 20 seven and a half weeks pregnant with that baby now. And that was very long-winded, but that is, that's our story. Wow. That's so heavy. I, I took some notes while you were talking just to keep up. But first of all, just I'm so amazed by how strong women are when I hear stories like this, because I've heard a couple stories similar to yours, but I haven't heard one involving cancer yet. So to just deal with the miscarriages and the infertility is one thing, but then to deal with cancer on top of this, can you share some of like, how did you turn to like spiritually and what did you do as far as just coping with all of this news? Sure. So that's a great question. I have a, when you asked me that, the first thing that stuck out is I have a photo that my husband took when I while I was miscarrying and it was just me rocking my son. It was while I was actively miscarrying, but I was in a rocking chair with my son who was seven months old at the time. I had to give up breastfeeding at that time, knowing like it was just, I thought I was having another baby. It was just really hard. And that photo like sticks out in my mind because it's kind of like the marker of when things started really struggling for us. And I just always leaned on my family. I just kept thinking like, even though I was miscarrying, I had a child in my arms. And I just kept thinking of AGC and how lucky I was to have a child in my arms. I mean, at this point, 
and my husband and I had talked they were those months were just really really hard and you don't really have a choice but to move forward especially when you have a, a baby that's depending on you like to live <laughs> you just have to keep moving forward and it was just we just took it day by day I leaned hard on my family the women from AGC were incredible they were there through my whole side my cousin had previously gone through multiple miscarriages I mean my friends and family just like flooded my house for those those couple of months I mean I don't think I cooked a single meal and it's not even that I was unable to it's just that people really showed up and I think that goes to show I think it applies to all of infertility not my story in specific but people just need you to show up. They just need you to sit next to them when you're having a crappy day. You don't even have to say anything. If you just sit next to somebody on the couch, when you know that they just got some bad news or you know that they're going through a tough time or they're two week wait, it just showing up is all that matters. It doesn't matter if you get it. It's just being there. I did. And my husband, we both went to counseling during that time. There were a lot of questions we had unanswered. Um, we didn't know with my diagnosis, and it's even still difficult to talk about now. We didn't know like if I would survive this. So like who would take care of my son if God forbid something happened. But thank God like we got out on the other end and everything was okay. But it really puts things into perspective on what's important. You are just so strong. When I hear this story, all I can hear is your strength and that you were able to go through all this to just have the attitude that you have now and to find all the good and the hope is just so encouraging and I hope anybody listening can hear your story and just know that if you can make it through this then they can make it through something similar yeah and that's that's the thing like this my story like just even removing the cancer just you have to get through it. Like you have to lean on people around you to get through it. And that just goes for all infertility. I don't know how people do this alone and how they, you know, thank God for AGC. I don't know how I could, I mean, even like support during my cancer treatment, they were amazing. And I don't know how people do this alone. I mean, my husband and I went to couples therapy during this just because it was just, it's just very heavy. I hope that people listening are able to find and reach out to a support group, even if it's not an EGC. I don't know how people do it alone. That's really good advice. And I think also if somebody goes to a support group and they find that it's not working, there's always multiple options. I remember I went to, I won't name it, but I went to a local infertility support group and it, it I actually left feeling worse than when I started. So yeah. I explored a couple online ones like AGC and a couple others. And when I was connected with people that I felt like had the same beliefs as me and had the same kind of mindset, I felt supported. But you have to keep trying. And I know it's hard to put yourself out there, but just keep exploring because there are so many people who can relate and understand and you just have to keep going. Absolutely. And I mean, for me, talking about things uh, has always helped. I know some people feel like infertility is kind of like a personal relationship issue. And for me and my husband, that was never really our feeling. Um, we needed to like extend out and kind of dig in <laughs> and take in whatever support we could get. And I liked that you mentioned to look around for support groups. AGC was the first one introduced to me. So that's all I've really experienced. But even with our couples counseling during those 
you know, during those couple of years, it did take us, I'd say, four different therapists to find a good fit. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know because sometimes I think people are like, oh, I tried it, it didn't work, and then they give up, but just keep going. Uh, Somebody told me an expression, I think it's every lid has a pot, so just keep going. So you did an IVF cycle about a year after you were cancer-free? Yep. And you were successful on the first try? We were. We were very fortunate. So I'm probably going to do a couple episodes specifically on IVF, but can you like quickly walk us through what a frozen transfer looks like? Sure. So for us, it was a little little bit different. So again, you have to wait on all the insurance authorization, which makes you want to pull your hair out. My advice to people doing this, and I don't know if it really helps or if it was just me, but I called the insurance company every single day sometimes twice a day to check on my insurance authorization. And I just felt like being a little gnat kind of made things push through faster for me. I would say my insurance auths went, both went through within a week, which I know is really quick for people uh, in general. So for us, they, I had to go in for, I think it was cycle day two or three blood work and ultrasound. They started me on S trace and this is back in October I had a bad reaction to that. It like super sped my cycle within five, I want to say it was like around a week. I had already ovulated and gotten my period. (laughs) So my body really didn't respond well to that. And they had to switch me to a natural cycle, which was fine. I, but they had to monitor me every two to three days, kind of similar to the retrieval process when you have to go in and get monitored so frequently. And then I had to take a, a stimulation injection to make sure that I ovulated. And then we went in and transferred, I want to say like a week later, um, if I remember back correctly. And we did do the daily progesterone and oil shots. And to be honest, I can't even really remember the cycle part. It's one of those things you just try and like squash down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. When did you find out you were pregnant? So we chose to wait. I, I was conflicted on whether I wanted to test or not at home, just because we have had experiences with chemical pregnancies and they're awful when you're trying to get pregnant to think that you're pregnant and then you're not. So we waited, I want to say that I tested at home like the night before and I got a a positive, but we weren't really excited at that point. We were like, all right, well, let's wait and see what the blood test says. So we did wait and we, we found out what the blood test said. It came back positive. They said my numbers were good. I want to say it was around 152, which is a good start, especially for a frozen cycle. My numbers continued to increase, but it was really hard. And I talked to an AGC about this. It was something that both my husband and I really, really struggled with. We felt like it's our first cycle. It shouldn't happen this quick for us. We've had our strands of bad luck. So we were emotionally detached from everything essentially. And then we went in and we heard the baby's heartbeat I was hysterically sobbing so bad that they like couldn't even do it because I was just like bouncing all over the place because I didn't want them to do it because I was so afraid that they were going to tell me nothing was there. And it was just, I can't remember exactly when we started feeling better, but at each appointment and even at my OB's office, anytime I go in, even now, I still like break out in hives and like I break out in a sweat and I have a fetal 
Doppler at home and I check on things myself. I have a blood pressure cuff at home. I take care of things. <laughs> it's almost like I don't trust them. Like I have to figure it out myself. It's just really difficult. We didn't really emotionally attach to this pregnancy, I would say, until we were well into the second trimester. Um, we didn't tell our family. We didn't really tell our friends. The only people that really knew were AGC because I felt like if anything happened, people would get it. Even my father, I didn't even tell my 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 dad's out in Arizona. I didn't tell him we were pregnant until I was about 20 weeks. I almost feel like it's your body's way of protecting itself. You know, I was talking to somebody who had multiple miscarriages a couple days ago, and she was experiencing pretty much spot on exactly what you're describing. And it just seems like it's probably just your body saying, I have to protect myself. And if that being a little bit numb or, you know, not feeling fully invested, then that's what I have to do. So I think that that's probably a common theme among women who have dealt with such loss. Definitely. And this is, this is like an awful thing, but when I was probably about, I think it was right before I was turning eight or nine weeks with this pregnancy, I was cleaning out a drawer in my kitchen and I found a card for the septic people we had after I had my first, that miscarriage when I was eight weeks, I couldn't stand the thought of my pregnancy being down in my septic tank. And I had them come out that week and pump our septic because I just couldn't deal with it. And I found that card when I, this pregnancy, I haven't seen that card since that happened. And I found that card and I was convinced that that was God's way of telling me like, Hey, here's a heads up, like something bad's coming. So even after that, it was just like, like, here's the card. You're going to need to use this again. So even at 27 and a half weeks now, like I'm still constantly on edge thankful every single day for like anything that I get, <laughs> like a little kick here and there. Like it just, it's, this pregnancy is totally different than the pregnancy with my son because I hadn't experienced loss at that point. And it's just, it's very nerve wracking to be pregnant now. Uh, I, I mean, it's an, I want to, of course I'm thrilled that I'm pregnant and it is, and I love being pregnant, but it's just, it, you're constantly waiting for something to happen. I haven't experienced anything like this, so I can't really relate at all. Um, I had a very early miscarriage, but it was like, I guess you could even consider it a chemical. Like we never saw a heartbeat. So my heart just goes out to you and to all the women who have dealt with this. Do you have any advice or is there anything that you wish people could say to someone who's going through this or even what? never to say to somebody going through this? Yes. The whole, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. And I know people have like talked about this pretty openly. You should never say this to anybody. But when you say that, it's just like, I, it's just, I don't even know how to respond. I'm just like, <laughs> getting pregnant and losing a pregnancy is just like the worst thing ever. And like what you said, you never got to see the heartbeat. You had a positive pregnancy test. Like to me, those chemical pregnancies are pregnancies. So it's just, I think it's just really insensitive. And then the other thing is like with my, right after my son, people knew we struggled having my son. And right afterwards they were like, 
he needs a brother or sister. When are you going to start trying again? And I mean, it's just like, just, (laughs) just don't, don't ask those things, you know, just when it comes to kids and especially, I feel like people feel the need just out of social norms to ask. And it's just, I don't know, even like with the whole marriage thing, like if people have been together for a while and they're not engaged, don't make those comments that like, oh, when are you going to get married? Because it's a sensitive subject. I don't know. I feel people are just very insensitive surrounding that. People are already asking us, I'm still pregnant. Like, oh, are you going to have more? Can I get the first? Can I get this one out first? Like, can we see how this one goes? Well, I'm sending you lots of prayers that everything will go well from here on out. But I want to just validate your feelings and that everything you're feeling is completely normal. No, thank you. Can we change gears a little bit? And you can refer to this for your son, your pregnancy with your son as well as your pregnancy now. But I have a few lighter questions. Yeah. So what would you say is the best part about being pregnant? Oh, feeling the baby move. What does it feel like? I can't even really describe it. At first, it feels like gas. <laughs> and then, um, just like little, I can't even tell you. It feel, you could literally feel like little fists and kicks. Like it's the best feeling in the world. Does it ever hurt? Yeah, there are times when it's uncomfortable. Like my current pregnancy, I don't know what it is, but they, they're punching or kicking like backwards, like towards my butt. And that is mm-hmm. not cool. No, they need um, aim elsewhere. Yeah, not, it's not painful, but it's, it's not a, um, a pleasant sensation. <laughs> are cravings a real thing? Cravings are a real thing, yes. With my son, I craved all things buffalo which was problematic at the end because I had wicked heartburn with this pregnancy and actually, and with my son, I craved ice all the time, which people warn you about and say that like maybe your iron levels are low, might've always been fine. Specifically the ice that you can find, I'm like in a slush puppy, not a Slurpee, anything like that. It has to specifically be those like balls of ice from a slush puppy. They're like heaven on earth. Oh, interesting. So one thing I do want to address, and this is one that you can totally skip, but I want to talk about weight gain a little bit and then weight loss after pregnancy. How much did you gain with your first pregnancy? You will not even believe this. I gained close to 70 pounds with my son. I had preeclampsia at the end of that pregnancy, and I was kicking on water faster than the Titanic. I was a giant puffball filled. I believe if I'm, I believe a normal pregnancy is about 30 pounds they recommend for weight gain. I was gigantic. Huge. Wow. Were you uncomfortable? I, looking back, like my legs felt heavy because I had four plus like pitting edema and I worked as a nurse on the floor. So like I, I was tired, but I didn't know any different. So like, I just thought that was normal. Um, the day I was induced for high blood pressure, my, I had worked an eight hour shift and I called my mom when I was leaving the hospital. I just said, Hey, like my vision's funny. Like it's real fuzzy. And she works at the hospital too. So she was actually on her way in when I was leaving. And she took one look at me and she was like, we're going to the doctors right now. My lips were puffy. My eyes were puffy. And yeah, they, they sent me over to the hospital and I got induced that day, but it was all I knew. So I didn't, you know, I was just happy to be pregnant. So that was all, that was it. Do you remember how much you lost right after the baby was born? Yes. So I would say probably within the first 10 days, I want to say I lost close to 40 pounds. Oh, dang. Um, Yeah. 
yeah, it was a lot. Um, my body diuresed on its own pretty quickly to the point where I kept passing out because I had such a fluid shift. After that, the weight kind of slowly tapered down. Um, by the time I went back to work, when I was 12 weeks, uh, 12 weeks postpartum, I think I was maybe five pounds heavier than my starting weight. It, it came off a lot easier than I thought it would. Wow. Yeah. So you were basically back to your normal weight. Yeah. I mean, even a month after that, I was below my pre-pregnancy weight and I was also breastfeeding um, and I had to breastfeed dairy-free for my son. So I think that played into a lot of it because being dairy-free kind of tapers down on the sweets you can consume. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cookies don't taste as good without milk. Right. What advice would you give to yourself if you could go back when you first started trying to conceive? I wish I had been a better advocate for myself from the very beginning. Even going back to the thyroid cancer, when they removed it from me, they said the way it presented looked as if it had been there for close to 10 years, if not longer. So that means it started back in high school. And I just wish that I knew a little bit more. And I mean, I was a nurse, like there were signs that I should have picked up on, mainly being just like the large lump in my throat that I just kind of like never really thought about until somebody pointed it out to me during my diagnosis. Even with infertility, when that first doctor came back and said, oh, you know, nothing's wrong. You guys are young. You should keep trying. I wish I had just put my foot down and said, no, I want a referral now. And like I said, with the insurance companies, you just, you have to be a bulldog. Like you have to call them nonstop. And I wish I knew how to advocate for myself back then, like I do now, because I felt like I was being pushy and aggressive back then. But you have to be in everything healthcare. You have to be. Yeah. And, you know, maybe your struggle can help somebody else who is going through something similar. Maybe they'll be able to hear this and know like, okay, it's only been nine months, but I feel in my gut and my bones that something's wrong. And then they can take that and advocate. Exactly. I mean, it's just to the doctors, it's just a referral. I don't see what the big deal is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we ourselves know, like I remember even the first couple months that we were trying, I just knew that something was off and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I wasn't casual or excited about it the way that, you know, most people are when they first start trying to conceive. So it's almost like I had this block where I knew that there was something off. And I think a lot of us have that kind of intuition. Yeah, absolutely. And even in my nursing practice, I always tell my patients, you know your body best. Like you, you don't feel right. You got to say something. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share either about your pregnancy or about your birth? Life is like pre-baby versus post-baby? Um, pre-baby versus post-baby. I never really knew what tired was until I became a mom in more ways than one, even emotionally, it's, it's a lot harder than people really talk about. As a mom, it's important to find a good support group of people that, especially, I mean, with fertility, I feel like it's been helpful to talk to people that have gone through it and are on the other side, because you almost, I shouldn't say almost, you do feel guilty saying like anything negative in regards to parenthood. I mean, it's it's normal to have good days and bad days. It's totally insane to think that just because you went through infertility that it's going to be a walk in the park and everything needs to be perfect because it's not. There are really difficult days as a mom and 
at the end of the day, it doesn't make you any less grateful to be a parent. So I think it's important to have people to talk to about that too. And um, I think that's all. I think that's all I can think of right now. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad. I'm so glad you're doing this. Oh, thanks. I've wanted to listen to one similar to this. So because no one was doing it, I figured let's give it a go. Yeah, no, I think this is a great idea. Well, thank you. And if you have any friends, you know, I want this to be, it's not just about infertility. I want that to be a big piece of the conversation, but I want it to be literally any means of getting to motherhood. So if you have someone that it took them three months, or if you just have anyone that might be willing to talk about it, could you send them my way? Absolutely. Wow. So it's been a few months since I've heard her story. We actually recorded that a while back. And I do want to just say that I understand I'm not good with the words. You'll notice a theme throughout all of my podcasts is I have a hard time coming up with exactly what I'm trying to say and express how I'm feeling or interpreting a story. So I just want to say again how amazing I think this person is. And she's just gone through so much and she still has such a great attitude and I think she's a real big inspiration. So thank you again for coming on. It just means the world to me. And I just want to briefly mention, you probably heard us refer to AGC. That's actually a support group for women with infertility that we both belong to. It started off with an amazing woman named April Lane, and she created an angry girls club with some of her friends who were also trying to conceive and having some difficulty. And she's turned it into this really amazing scholarship program, a lot to help women and families who are going through infertility. So check that out if you ever want to donate or if you want to look for a scholarship, you can apply. And if you would like to come on the show, please do just email me at trying to conceive podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at trying to conceive podcast. I have nine followers and that like means the world to me. So thank you everybody who's following and I hope that you all have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.